0: Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. Now my watch is broken, too. <laughs> With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools.
1: That stole all my lines. Uh, look, don't
0: worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 Central on CBS. You're in the clubhouse with Kyle Bailey.
1: Man, I've already got texts waiting on me as I sit down, and uh, I love it. You know I love it. But I got uh, Myron already saying, KB, I love. That the NCAA basically told Coach K and the ACC to kick rocks with their stupid proposal. Yes, this season will be different, but the NCAA is not to end the participation trophy business. That's from Myron to start the show. We we sure about that? And, And I'm glad he sent that in because it wasn't just a while ago that uh dave gavitt the ncaa's senior vice president on the uh well for the ncaa addressed the acc's proposal for an all division one eligible ncaa tournament dan gavitt saying quote every college basketball team's goal is to play in the ncaa tournament because everyone loves march madness certainly we missed it this year and can't wait for 2021, while all who care about the game are entitled to their opinion and will always listen respectfully at this time, we are not working on any contingency plan that involves expanding the tournament field End quote that again, Dan Gavitt, NCAA senior vice president of basketball so if you were hoping that they would just throw all caution to the wind and just say screw it and invite all 346 division one eligible teams well at least as of right now dan gavitt the ncaa's senior vice president of basketball says as of right now we have no intention to do that now and here's the thing i said yesterday when this story broke on the air during our show you know, if if they have to do it as a one-off, if it's logistically the only way to pull off a college basketball season, fine. Go for it. You know, I'll just roll with the punches and, you know, bask in the chaos because what choice would we have otherwise if that's what they deemed as their only path forward to complete an NCAA basketball season and tournament. But if they can play a traditional regular season, so to speak, and then a regular traditional NCAA tournament, that is in fact Preferable, I think, for most college basketball fans and most sports fans in general. Sports Radio FNZ here with you on a Thursday morning. The opening day of the NFL season is upon us. In fact, uh, as Jay Busby over at Yahoo Sports wrote, this is the great sports equinox. Uh, One of the, the many that we've, you know, gotten in recent years, but they haven't really been all that common, you know, over the years. The sports equinox is here again today and what i mean by that is of course all four of the mainstream biggest american sports leagues all competing on the same day right it's an event so rare that it's happened only 19 times before 2020 the sports equinox when all four leagues play on the same day generally it occurs in late october early november When baseball's playoffs run long enough to overlap with the opening days of the NBA season and both line up with a Sunday, Monday or Thursday NFL game. And Vegas is rejoicing right now because Vegas has all of the sports, all of the lines to offer the betting public games on a half dozen channels all at once tonight. Uh, The sports equinoxes or equinox I as Jay writes, whatever the plural version is, used to happen much more frequently. Uh, occurring almost every year of the 1970s back when the nba tipped off in early october we then went nearly 30 years with only two equinoxes in 1985 and 2001 but with baseball's expanded postseason we've seen actually several of these over the past few years this year though obviously a bit different there's not much good that came out of America's pandemic lockdown, but this mega stuffed sports calendar that we're living in right now certainly qualifies. As a matter of fact, over the next couple of weeks, we could see up to seven sports equinoxes, as Jay Busby writes today, Sunday, Monday, and then September 17th, 20th, 24th, and 27th. According to Sportico, and it depends on how long the uh, various NBA and NHL playoff series run. But, you know, baseball is going to be in its stretch run and now football's back on its regular schedule. And the later we get into September, the more sports we can add to, you know, all these various sports equinoxes. Sunday is going to feature the men's finals of the U.S. Open in tennis. Uh, September 20th, the final day of the U.S. Open in golf. Uh, September 27th, you'll have NASCAR's playoff race in Las Vegas. All those September dates will also include the WNBA on top of MLB, NFL, college football, NBA, and the NHL. You know, we waited four and a half long months, Mark Seidel, to get some sports back, and we are truly getting a buffet all at once here in the month of September. We get all the sports all the time on about a dozen networks. You can't buy enough TVs for the month of September.
2: Well, let me just say I am a fan of Equini. <laughs> I like e- Equinoxes just doesn't roll off the tongue it as well not. as sports Equini
1: does. I, I, th- I think it's, it's equinox Eye, though, instead of equinox which uh, it's less uh you know less fluid. <laughs> I don't think this a good version.
2: Yes, uh th- these are the days we th- that we that we hoped for, that we waited for, you know, after uh after a long time of of not seeing anything and wondering w- how things were going to come back, when th- when things were going
1: to come back, and uh now we have them all. Oh, we absolutely have them all. And and here in the Carolinas obviously, we don't have hornets Uh, you know, NBA postseason basketball in the way that we hoped we would. But lots of cities actually have all their sports taking place at one time, right? That's only happened once back in 2018 when four Los Angeles teams all played in the same city. And and I think the Kings beat the Rangers, the Clippers beat the Wizards, the Rams beat the Packers, the Dodgers lost Game Five of the World Series. It's been since 2018 uh, that happened in LA. But this year, there there aren't really any candidates for an equinox flush, as Jay Busby writes. But some combination of you know all these different cities, Tampa and Dallas and Denver, they're going to have three teams playing at the same time. It, it really is unlike much that we've seen before. And like I said, we saw those images of Vegas. I think it was back in March and and April during the the real heart of the shutdown, where the Vegas Strip was a ghost town and there was no one to be seen. And those images were eerie and they were really kind of depressing to see. And the stories of Vegas sports books shut down and not taking any wagers because there was nothing to wager on. Now all of their action has come flooding back all at one time. Yeah, it was, it, it, the the strip was closed, and I'm and I'm going to get kind of morbid here for just one second. It
2: reminded me of. When I was out there, when when the shooting happened, oh yeah, and things just complete. It was just, you know, there were still obviously tourists and things out there, but nobody was out on the strip, and you know, people were, you know, headed home, and and it was just a, it was an eerie, eerie feeling, and seeing the Las Vegas Strip completely shut down, nothing open. So there was, there was, you know, there were only, I saw locals going down there riding their bikes, you know, saying, I've always, you know. Wished I could do something like this, and they're riding down the middle of the strip and things like that. But it was just, it was eerie. It was an, it was an eerie, eerie feeling.
1: It was, and again, so, so Vegas is bouncing back with a vengeance right now because we get, we had four months of nothing. They've got all the sports all at one time to gamble on, and the, the sports equinox has returned, and it starts tonight. Obviously with the, the ongoing Major League Baseball season, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, but now tonight, Power Five college football returning. Miami, the Hurricanes taking on UAB, hosting UAB uh, to. Kick off the ACC football season. That, of course, picks up with a fury on Saturday. College Game Day is going to be in Winston-Salem at Truist Field. Wake Forest and number one Clemson. It's going to be a strange view because there will be no fans allowed for College Game Day. But reports have it that College Game Day will set up on the 50-yard line on Truist Field in Winston-Salem with a bunch of cardboard cutout fans behind them to host that show in Winston-Salem. So Clemson, Wake Forest, you got North Carolina and, and Syracuse. Uh, Duke and Notre Dame uh, Florida State Georgia Tech it's going to be a great Saturday full of college football should have been Virginia Tech NC State as well but as we know that game was pushed off two weeks because NC State had a COVID outbreak a cluster if you will about uh, a week and a half ago leave it to the wolf leave it to the wolf pack so we, we got that happening that game's been pushed back two weeks but tonight we got all that plus Texans and Chiefs on a Thursday night two quarterbacks With combined contracts that reached $633 million, $633 million worth of quarterback play on the field tonight in week one of the NFL season, Deshaun Watson versus Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs and the Texans. And at last check, I believe Kansas City is still somewhere in the neighborhood of a nine point favorite in that game, which honestly seems like too much to me. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in Deshaun Watson personally. Anyway, I think he's special. Uh, obviously, we know Mahomes is special. I just don't. I don't know that anybody is necessarily 10 points better than anybody right now in, in week one without preseason football. Maybe if maybe the Chiefs are the team that you'd give the benefit of the doubt to because they're the defending Super Bowl champions, but. I think the overwhelming expectation among college or NFL media and even coaches right now is some sloppy football yeah. early in the season, because there's been no preseason limited padded practices. You just, it, it's just, I don't think it's going to be fluid week one. So, I mean, I guess maybe we could see a blowout, you know, if one team comes out, especially unprepared, but on a Thursday night with all the spotlight on this particular game, they might be a little bit rusty, but I think both teams are going to be focused and ready to go. I, I think it's going to be a tight matchup.
2: Yeah. nine and a half, ten 10 points. Uh, uh, that's a big number for for pretty much any game. Um, and and when historically, you throw, that's a huge number yeah, for an NFL game. Those yeah. numbers have
1: grown over the years.
2: Yeah, but we, in the, you throw in the fact that these, you know, none of these teams have played any preseason games. They've been playing against practicing against themselves. Um, that's a that's a big big number. Um, like you said, teams are going to be rusty. Uh, if, if I'm if I'm a betting man, you know I, I think I'm laying the points with the Texans.
1: I, I probably am, too. That's the way I'm looking at it. Uh, Tim, with a great message right out of the gates here, saying Bears GM Ryan Pace is actually more pumped for Miami UAB. He won't watch Mahomes versus Watson because he prefers Trubisky to those two. <laughs> well done, Tim. Well done. That's how you start a show on a Thursday morning. I appreciate the text. 704-570-9610. You can send yours. Asa Obloy phone lines, building center text line. Find me on Twitter at Kyle Bailey Club. It's at Kyle Bailey, C-L-U-B. So again, NCAA Vice President Dan Gavitt saying, hey, we hear the ACC. We know Coach K wants to drive this bad boy to a 346-team NCAA tournament in 2021, but uh, as of right now, we have no plans to do that. That's uh, some news to start the show, and as we've been talking about, the great sports equinox occurs once again tonight with the return of college football and the NFL on top of baseball and basketball and play off hockey and everything else you know our our long wait the great sports pause of 2020 has technically been over for weeks at this point but the full buffet of sports is returning to the American public on this Thursday night as we also head in to the full week one NFL schedule beginning on Sunday at one o'clock after tonight's game and of course that includes The Carolina Panthers and the Las Vegas Raiders, which is what we've been talking about for most of this week, but we really dig in and dive in throughout the course of this show. Uh, I jumped on the Raiders podcast with JT the Brick yesterday, and we had some interesting discussions about this game, and he had some interesting thoughts about the Raiders and and what this matchup might look like if certain things go in, uh, frankly, certain directions, and we'll get to that. But one of those points that we talked about yesterday had to do with Teddy Bridgewater, And it seems that the view and the opinion of the Panthers signal caller is quite different around the country than it is here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I will tell you why that is next here in the Clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ on a Thursday morning. Kyle Bailey back with you. The Sports Equinox, all four major American sports leagues playing tonight. At the same time, sprinkle in some college football, Miami UAB. It's a good night to be a sports fan and throughout the weekend as well. You can't you can't have enough screens for this weekend chock full of, of sporting events across these United States. So enjoy it. Hit us up, 704-570-9610. Asa Abloy phone lines, building center text line, and on Twitter, at Kyle Bailey Club. It's at Kyle Bailey, C-L-U-B. Coming up in about an hour, we will talk to former Panthers quarterback Jake DeLome, and uh, we'll talk to Jake, obviously, about Sunday's matchup with the Oakland Raiders. Speaking of, here's Panthers quarterback Teddy Bridgewater saying he's excited for his team to show off more than just himself as the starting quarterback.
0: Honestly, I'm just excited, man that you know we get to go out and display all of our hard work. Um, it's been a, a grind all camp. I'm excited for this team, a bunch of guys eager to uh, make a name for themselves in this league, make plays in this league and help this organization win football games. So I haven't really thought about the opening day you know starting and all of that. It's more so just uh, about what can we do to to play our best football Sunday.
1: There you go. So that's Teddy saying, again, more than just himself, because he is the story. He and Matt Rule are the story when it comes to this team. Here's more from Teddy saying he thinks this offense will have an advantage early in the season.
0: You know, we want to try to use everything we can to our advantage, Um, especially with um, it being a home game. So the biggest thing, we just, we can't control, you know, who we're playing. They're all just nameless, faceless opponents. You know, we just have to go out there and execute, you know, all the things that we did through our training camp and, hopefully uh, the process will produce the results.
1: What's interesting about that is, you know, you've heard Roman Harper say on this show in the last two weeks that, you know, with with a new coaching staff and a new quarterback, new offensive system that he, the first quarter of the season, the first four games of this season, uh, the, the Panthers should have a strategic advantage of not having much tape on them, their offense, their tendencies, their, their schemes, everything, not, not much tape or film for opponents to go off of. Yesterday, John Gruden joined the uh, the Panthers media contingent, among others, in his uh, weekly c- teleconference to preview Sunday's game, and he said, "Yeah, you know, we we don't have that much to go off of. We've been watching some of uh, the the Temple film from when Matt Baylor was still at Temple, some of the Baylor film from the last two years. They've been watching some LSU tape from last year with Joe Brady helping Steve Ensminger run that offense. So, you know, I I think that holds true, and I think Teddy's right about that. They do have that advantage." at least for the first couple of weeks with these opponents, not having really any film on them beyond some of the, you know, the, the, the pedigree and uh, the previous stops for rule. And for Joe Brady, speaking of Matt rule, he was asked again yesterday about Joe Brady's offense. And Matt rule said, well, okay, you can call it Joe Brady's offense, but that's not quite what I'd call it.
0: I'm just anxious to see Teddy get out there and play. I mean, um, and I know you can call it Joe Brady's offense. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, you know, Teddy's offense as much as anything now, you know I mean? And, um, you know, he, he, he's, he's got to take the, he's got to take the reins. Joe has a great game plan. The offensive staff has a great game plan. They'll call a great game, but it's Teddy's turn now to go distribute the ball. And, and, you know, we have a bunch of playmakers. Um, we've got to get the ball spread out to everybody, let everyone go make plays. And I think, uh, I think Teddy will do that. I think he'll make all the right checks at the line of scrimmage. You know, the Raiders will present us with a lot of challenges in terms of what they do defensively. And, uh, Teddy's 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 job on on Sunday will be equally physical as well as mental.
1: There you go, and and so it's more Teddy's offense. I, this might be some sort of you know artificial attempt to to pump up Teddy Bridgewater and to really place the importance the underscore around him because well he's the franchise guy now or at least that's what he's being designated and they want to instill that kind of confidence both in him and externally with the fan base watching. I, I also think that Matt Rule really means it when he says it that that this is teddy bridgewater's offense and and i think that again there's some truth to that because teddy is going to have to be trusted that's why they signed him in the first place that's why they went out and got their guy because they trusted him and his familiarity with joe brady's offense quote unquote to come in here and to get this offense up to speed to hit the ground running because he knew many of these principles knew many of the play calls and knew a lot of the verbiage already plus familiarity with joe brady all absolutely true People out there, though, especially in this fan base, still questioning whether or not Teddy Bridgewater is, in fact, a quote-unquote franchise quarterback, and that leads me to snap judgment. We got a technical snap. Anyone. There we go. Freak out out
0: there, okay? got to keep her?
1: To stop yelling because that means I lost the fight. Your language is offensive. Instantly, I regret saying that. That was a horrible thing to say. I may be wrong, but I doubt it. And apparently, I said Las Vegas Raiders. I said Oakland Raiders. I got a couple of people, people saying, "KB, we get it, we do it too." But you said Oakland. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to kick it like everybody else. But but again, I go back to the focus on Teddy Bridgewater and how he's seen externally versus how he is viewed and and being supported or not within this fan base. To help supplement the point, here's Nate Burleson, former NFL wide receiver, NFL Network, saying this is the year for Teddy Bridgewater to prove what he is. For me, I'm looking at Teddy Bridgewater. And,
0: you know, for so long, Teddy Bridgewater has been a guy that, micromanage the games and I wonder if that's going to be the case with all this hype about Matt rule and his genius speaking of micromanagers is it going to be like the server on the first day that has that manager right behind them as they're walking up to your table and the server's yep. like "Um, yes uh, so today we have the uh, the, the fillet mignon <laughs> well excuse me what was that mignon <laughs> um actually that's the that's the filet mignon um uh, you know is Matt rule going to be over the shoulder just hovering being a, a helicopter coach for Teddy Bridgewater no I don't believe it is I feel like Teddy Bridgewater he shook that not only with the contract getting 60 plus million dollars but what he did with New Orleans last year when Drew Brees was out Teddy Bridgewater for so long has looked it looked to be this guy was a bridge quarterback I feel like this year he's going to burn that bridge and create a new path as a franchise face for the rest of his career so I'm really excited about Teddy Bridgewater's first start
1: yeah I'm with him and, and I've seen more and more the national pundits and take this for what it it's worth Right now, I always say you know your own team in the market better than national pundits do because you watch and talk about them every week far more closely than they do, but there seems to be a lot of growing optimism and excitement about Teddy Bridgewater and Joe Brady's offense with McCaffrey, with DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, and and all that that entails. I, I heard another national host yesterday. I, I love Rule, love Bridgewater, love the energy. They got playmakers. They got some weapons offensively. Look for this team to surpri- to surprise some people. We don't think they're going to be nearly as bad as Their own fan base does, you know, and maybe this, this season turns out to be miserable, but I believe if that's the case, it will not be because of Teddy Bridgewater and this Panthers offense. The only way I think that offense self-destructs or turns out to be massively disappointing is if the offensive line doesn't hold up. I think that's the only way that happens. Otherwise, I believe that Teddy will do what he was brought in here to do, and that is manage the offense, spread the ball around, put these playmakers in space and give them an opportunity to make plays. If that happens, the offense will give them a chance in a lot of these games, and it's up to the defense, a young defense, no doubt about it, to hold up kind of or to a certain extent their end of the bargain. But if this season goes south, it will not be because of Teddy Bridgewater that much I truly believe. That's Snap Judgment, inspired by Carolina Custom. If you can dream it, they can build it. Go to CarolinaCustomWheels.com. Now, again, this is the kind of thing that I'm seeing from fans right now. I got a listener who just said, Teddy's not a franchise guy, period. He has a chance to grow into one under this contract, but he isn't one now. I think that's fair that based on what we've seen from Teddy in the last five years with the injury, only playing in, in, well, six games last year, starting five of them, you know, he hasn't shown us enough of a sample size that you could come close to anointing him a franchise quarterback right now, just based on the play alone. But that is, in fact, how the organization sees him. What I'm curious about on Sunday is, you know, first of all, the the weather situation, right? There's an opportunity or there's a possibility, and at this time of year, it's always the case in Charlotte, North Carolina, that we could see some rain on Sunday, Now, rain in football, the great equalizer, right? At least that's the way it's always been built. There's about a 50 50 chance of rain on Sunday. But, you know, when it rains, you expect teams, especially with, you know, old school coaches, guys who like to run the football, to go to the running game, you know, very often, early and often throughout the game. The Panthers have a running back that they feel really good about turning and giving the ball to 30 times a game if they need to, in Christian McCaffrey. Now, their offensive line, the Panthers' offensive line, it it might be middle of the road maybe even slightly above average in some of the best forecasts but it ain't Oakland's offensive line you know Oakland has one of the best offensive lines in the NFL so if it rains if if both teams are forced to go to the ground a bit more because of you know poor conditions which may or may not be the case but it's definitely possible I don't know that it benefits the Raiders that much more than the Panthers, even though they have a better offensive line. What I think also plays into Carolina's favor, though, is that, you know, while the Oakland offensive line is stout, Josh Jacobs is a beast, Derek Carr is capable, and they did draft some wide receivers, which was one of the thinnest parts of, of, of Las Vegas' team. I said Oakland again, I think, a minute ago. But it's one of the thinnest parts or was in the offseason of this team. You've got Henry Ruggs out there. You've got Brian Edwards from South Carolina. Talent, no doubt about it. You know, but they're rookies. So if ever there was a favorable week one matchup for the Panthers secondary, this might kind of be it. You know, go, Hunter Renfro is a very, very good route runner. He always manages to get open, but he's not so elite athletically, you know, that guys like Dante and, and even, you know, some of the young guys can't stay with him on the field. Very good route runner, you know, and Ruggs is speedy, no question about it. But the Panthers do have a little bit of speed. So I don't think these young wide receivers on the Raiders side are going to wear out the Panthers secondary. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I, I'm not, a, I don't think Panthers fans are afraid of Derek Carr at all. If it comes down to, you know, the, which run game has a better afternoon, you'd probably give the nod to the Raiders because of the offensive line, but the Panthers have the better running back here. I mean, Christian McCaffrey's arguably the best running back in the NFL. So I, I it's hard for me, I think Mark, at this point, just to break down this, this matchup too, because I, I can look on paper and see what logically makes sense. But how do you know what logically applies in a year where we got no preseason football and the padded practices and the physicality has been limited in the preseason?
2: Again, you, you, you take the words out of my mouth. We can, on paper, there are things that are supposed to happen in this game that a lot of people believe uh, will happen with the rain, you know, with with, with two glove Teddy out there uh, that, you know, could uh, serve in his favor, but you look at this matchup and you expect both of these teams to try to establish a dominant run game, to try to establish some, some ball control offense. And it's going to, it's going to come down to whichever offensive line can, can, can insert their will assert their will uh, the best. And if you have to ask me right now, it's gotta be, it's gotta be it's, Las Vegas. It Vegas. The Raiders are much more, ready and adept to to assert their will
1: no no, no no and look Mike Mayock and John Gruden have gone about trying to rebuild reconstruct the Raiders roster over the past couple of years I think they feel good about the talent they have on the offensive side especially and in, in just chatting with JT the Brick yesterday and the day before that here on the show I, I, I get the sense that Mayock and Gruden feel good about the roster they're putting together simply from a compilation of talent perspective You know, you don't expect Henry Ruggs, who was, by the way, the surprise first wide receiver off the board in the spring. He was not supposed to be the first wide receiver off the board this spring, but they took him. They love his speed. You know, if whether or not that translates into, you know, early success for the Raiders, I'm not sure. I think it actually benefits the Panthers a bit. You know, that you've got some rookie wide receivers coming in expected to contribute on Sunday. You know, you got a rookie corner in Troy Pride Jr. which is going to scare the hell out of some Panthers fans, but you know, at least Dante's been around the block a little bit. Corn Elder's been around the block a little bit. They've seen what this league looks like. They've seen, you know, what covering NFL caliber wide receivers look like. Henry rugs and brian edwards are not going to you know run them off the field zay jones is a little more reliable but I, again he's not a speed guy I, I just i think this game is immensely winnable for carolina on sunday you know. and i and i hope obviously they end up winning the game because i think this i think this city this fan base just needs it these last two years have been terrible These last two, and it's not even that it's been bad football all the time. It's just the the expectations were high. The output was low. The the departure of all these beloved figures. I think a win on Sunday could go a really, really long way for this Panthers fan base morale. I I really think that the the win on Sunday, if they could get it, would go a long way toward this fan base and the people in this city and, and the Carolinas maybe coming around to it to what the vision of the future of this team at least in the eyes of the front office and the coaching staff what it looks like a win on sunday could be huge and i think they can get it raiders minus three favorite on the road i I think panthers with the points is the pick i mean guys you make your business in that industry going against the grain 91 percent of the money is going to the raiders this weekend right now i think in a lot of ways the panthers still have great value when it comes to sunday's game we'll talk more about it when we come back and last night. Last night, more drama, and I think it's been worth the investment. I'll tell you next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Lowry,
2: Ananobi, straight on three. Bad and
1: O.G. Ananobi, and the Raptors now take a one-point lead. It's a three-point barrage here as we're under a minute remaining in
2: the second overtime.
1: Man, that was fun last night. More drama in the NBA playoffs. The Raptors hang on. They've got that quality that championship teams develop. That, that I, I call it the cockroach quality. The cockroach mentality. Can't be killed. You cannot kill that team. And last night, the Raptors, after falling behind 2-0 in that series... And then, you know, avoiding disaster in Game Three with Ananobi's big three from the corner to take Game Three, then to even up the series at two games, fall behind three games to two over the weekend or a couple of days ago, rather, and then to even it up last night takes us to a Game Seven in that series, and it, it's truly remarkable that that's where we are. Remarkable, not that it was unexpected, because these are two very good teams, but given the way that it's all unfolded, it has been a fantastic fantastic series to watch and what makes I I think what is the most remarkable aspect of this series continues to be the fact that the Raptors are even in this position you know last night Kemba Walker kind of a rough night there was a no call you know he got robbed as some would put it but you know, I, I think the story again continues to be the Raptors to a degree because when Toronto you know behind Nick Nurse and Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet and Norman Powell you know, finished this regular season, this segmented regular season, with the NBA's second best winning percentage ahead of the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard's Clippers, no less, and LeBron James Lakers. Uh, it it did it didn't do much, right, to uh, to dissuade those doubters who thought, well, it's a good season, it's impressive, but you don't lose a Kawhi Leonard and 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 repeat as nba champions or even think you're getting back to the nba finals it just doesn't happen it can't be done right i mean that's that's akin to you know losing the the great general you know, of any war and thinking, well, we're going to be just fine. Well, it turns out they've been pretty much just fine. Now, that's yet to be truly determined because if they lose game seven and fall short of the conference finals, then, you know, those doubters will feel very vindicated in saying, see, we told you it couldn't be done. But, you know, sure, they're a great regular season team. That's how the thinking went. But who's going to replace Kawhi when they need have to get a bucket late in that game? Would it be Pascal Siakam? Could it really be Fred Van Vliet? Well, it turns out the answer is Kyle Lowry. After a spectacular performance last night in the Raptors 125-122 Game 6 double overtime win over the Celtics, Kyle Lowry, if there was ever any doubt, has let the world know emphatically that he is the closer for the Toronto Raptors, that the fans were wondering about, that opposing fans might have been looking for. Who's that guy? Can't, if, if, if Kawhi's gone, who, who's it going to be? Well, the answer is Kyle Lowry, and he was right under everybody's noses the entire time. Put up 33 points, eight rebounds, six assists, and just one turnover in fifty-three minutes on the floor. Fifty-three minutes. And and Kyle Lowry just fought and scrapped and clawed to keep the Raptors in that game, to get them to a game seven, and to at least for another night keep this quest alive to repeat as NBA champions. Ultimately, I, I don't see them doing it, but it the fact that they're doing this and they're here is impressive nonetheless. Kyle Lowry scored 15 points in the fourth quarter and in overtime. Iced the game with one of the toughest fadeaways you will see You know, at, at the elbow, kind of a, a fadeaway contorting his body jumper to give the Raptors a four-point lead with just under 12 seconds to play. And, and look, his performance is very reminiscent of another game six. And that was last year's NBA finals when Lowry scored 21 first half points in the series, clenching win over the golden state warriors. And it does make you wonder a bit why Lowry wasn't immediately pegged to fill in, you know, Kawhi Leonard shoes as the clutch guy as the bucket getter, because that's what he is. And he's shown us that that's exactly what he is. But the truth is that this Raptors team is here because they were built. Well, because they are run well in the front office. All right. Toronto, and I hit right on cue, a texter writes in to say, you know, Toronto was highly competitive before Kawhi Leonard. It's not about star players, it's the system. I agree with you. Toronto continues to be that. Now, Toronto's a big market. All right. It, it's, it's not an American market. And so when the Raptors were in the NBA Finals last year, the ratings suffered because well, the NBA and, and American television networks don't get credit for ratings in a different country. So, you know, the Raptors being in the NBA finals was not great for television ratings, but the Raptors continue to be the shining example of how to build an organization without tanking and relying on top three picks to do it. You know, last year we told you there, there were no top three picks on that team contributing to a championship. Kawhi Leonard was picked, I think, 14th overall. You know, there were a lot of three- and four-year college guys, second-rounders, undrafted players like Red Van Vliet. You know, and Danny Green contributing to uh, to a championship run. The the Raptors continue to be that, and I agree with these texters. And you took me right to the point. That's why they are what they are, and continue to be who they are because Masai Ujiri uh, has. And and let's let's give Dwayne Casey a lot of credit. You know, before the Raptors ran him off and promoted Nick Nurse. You know, the NBA's Coach of the Year, Dwayne Casey. This was a good competitive basketball team and a well-run organization before they rolled the dice, you know, in dealing for Kawhi Leonard and shipping out DeMar DeRozan, you know, who was maybe the most beloved Raptor of all time at that point, and and rolling the dice on Kawhi Leonard, they got the championship, but the foundation was there. You know, the Raptors and the Heat continue to be, you know, two of the most impressive organizations not just in the NBA, but in all of sports because of how well they're run, how well the foundation was built. That's what they are. That's who they are. And it's why, quite frankly, this, the, the Raptors are still in this series. I mean, even leading up to game six, you could hear the pundits. You know, Siakam's got a to step, a step up. Pascal Siakam's got to be the best player on this team, best player on the floor. They can't reasonably be, thought, be expected to make the NBA Finals with Pascal Siakam playing like this and and you know it seems as and there's a great piece of writing over at cbsports.com about this this morning credit to Colin Ward Henninger, who wrote a lot about this who says uh, basically there was a lot of hand-wringing about Kyle Lowry's playoff history where he's been what he's done what he didn't do why he's been overlooked well he's been there all along and it's the raptors or Lowry's largely undeserved As he writes, reputation for shrinking in the moment during the Raptors three consecutive postseason beatdowns at the hands of LeBron James and the Cavaliers kind of made us ignore Kyle Lowry. But his playoff history is often coupled together with that of his former teammate and best friend, DeMar DeRozan. But Lowry's stats from those postseasons were actually pretty solid. 18 points, nearly seven assists, four rebounds, 35% from three. So he's been there all along. He's been there. And, And I'm looking at the Raptors and I'm looking at the Heat and I'm looking at the Hornets and I'm thinking, hey, man. There's a blueprint here, and that blueprint is very simple, and it's always been this way. Hire good people. Scout well. Develop your talent. Make smart trades. Don't overpay for veterans. Don't take on bad contracts. Now, yes, now some of this is easier said than done. I, no doubt about it. But that's where the hiring good people part comes into play. You know, that's where the the trusting those smart people that you hire to do their jobs and to not meddle and to not insert yourself, you know, from an ownership level, especially, you know, into the job that's being done by the people you hired and trusted to do that job. That's why I'm still bullish and optimistic about where the Hornets are going because I believe Mitch Kupchak has been given the keys and has been given the reins and has been allowed to implement his vision alongside James Borrego of player development, of identifying players they can build a competitive perennial playoff team here in Charlotte, and, and start to move this thing forward in a way that people have been waiting on for a very long time. So even though they're not there yet, and there are landmines out there and opportunities to screw this up along the way, hopefully they don't do that. But I continue to be encouraged by A, what they're doing, and B, watching clubs like Toronto, like Miami, like Milwaukee even, you know, small to midsize market, building competitive teams, going to the playoffs, doing the right things right in 2020 the allure of being in new york and la and chicago while it might be there for some young stars who are still fixated on large markets and needing to be in these massive media markets in 2020 it's not necessary you know it doesn't have to be that way hell i think dwight howard was one of the first to to point that out or i think actually when he was trying to leave the the magic originally uh, was when that narrative really first started to emerge that hey you know here in the digital age you don't have to be in new york or la you know, to grow a huge brand. You can do it in a lot of places across the country. Giannis has done it in Milwaukee. Dame Lillard has done it in Portland. It is more than doable. So now it's incumbent upon the Hornets to go find some talent, keep building this roster, and put themselves in a position to make the Eastern Conference playoffs, I, I think, as early as next season, if they do the right things this offseason. That might be uh, a little bit ambitious for some of you, but look at the Eastern Conference. <laughs> I mean, look at the Eastern Conference. It's n- it's still not a deep You know, uber competitive side of the NBA. It can be done. It really can. You know, the Hornets over under win total prior to this season was 22 and a half games. 22 and a half games. They won 23 in a shortened season, with about 20 regular season games that could have still been played. They they were they were surpassing expectations. So I I trust where they're headed i like it i like what they're doing i trust mitch kupchak until he gives me real reason not to i like what the hornets are up to and i think they continue that progress in the draft taking one of these top three or four names third overall and and hopefully possibly you know maybe acquiring a a, a veteran you know that's efficient that doesn't require a, a huge contract to to do what i think jason goff was right to suggest on this show last week jason goff uh, Bulls pre and post on NBC Sports Chicago saying he thought that the Hornets should look to trade the third pick to go get an established commodity because he thinks that these young guys like Graham and Washington and Bridges, you know, need to learn more from some established pros around the NBA. I don't agree. You know, I think the, the, those young guys, you know, for varying lengths, have spent the last couple of years. Malik Monk too, you know, being around Kemba Walker, being around Cody Zeller, being around Marvin Williams. You know, the kind of pros that you do want young guys to be able to look up to and at least model their work ethic after. Kimball Walker works his tail off. Marvin Williams worked his tail off. He is a was a consummate pro. You know, Cody Zeller, I think, is probably best suited to be coming off the bench somewhere, but he's still a very good pro who who conducts himself as such. So I don't think you need to go spend, you know, money. I disagree with Jason and a few others. I don't think you need to trade the pick or even, you know, place a priority on overspending on a veteran to come in and teach these guys something. You know, maybe in an ideal world, you could find this generation's Jawan Howard, who's just hanging on and wants to average 1,500 claps a game from the bench, you know, and can teach these guys something in practice. But I, I think you stay with the gradual build. You stay with the draft. You pick third overall, 32nd. I mean, look, if, if the recent draft history tells us anything about the NBA draft and the Hornets, it's that this team can find a player, man, at 32nd overall. Hell, they can find one at 56th overall, you know, if, if they've done their homework and have scouted and evaluated well. And if there's a player, you know, I, I know we got some people that listen to the show that send in recommendations or suggestions for picks all the time. My boy Chad's always hitting me up saying, what about Sadiq Bay?" What about Sadiq Bey? Jo- you know, born in Charlotte, played at Villanova, got a similar skill set to some of these projected top five picks, may go in the 15 to 20 range. Why not try to get a guy like that? Well, if, if you think a guy like that, and I'll use Sadiq Bey as, a, as an example, if you think a guy like that would be worth it and you think he's still going to be there at 20, 25, 26, and maybe not 32, and you feel like packaging 32 and 56 to go up and get him in the back end of the first round is the right thing to do, then go for it. Be aggressive. But stick to the plan, and I think that's what the Hornets are doing. Again, I've got faith and trust in Mitch Kupchak until he shows me otherwise, but he's built up some positive equity with this fan base over the past couple of years, and, and I think he'll continue to do that. Right on cue. Right on cue. Opening day of the NFL season, college football is back. I, I had the audacity, Mark, to spend a couple of minutes on the NBA and the Hornets, and Trailer Park Thomas is about to have himself an aneurysm. How dare you? How dare I do that? The Sports Equinox Day, all four major sports going at the same time, and I have offended Trailer Park Thomas for daring to bring up shooty hoops. We'll come back. We'll talk some more NFL. How about that? I'll tell you the best Sunday NFL matchup on paper. When we come back, you're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ.